The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Boy, we've got a blockbuster set of markets for you today here on Scorebox. These are your headlines. U.S. stocks tumble, giving up a huge rally after President Trump says he'll slap a fresh 10% tariff on $300 billion worth of Chinese goods. I expected that a little bit because people don't understand quite yet about what's happened. Uh, We've uh, taxed China on $300 billion worth of goods and products being sold into our country and... China eats it. Equities also sinking across Asia as Mr. Trump puts the pressure on Xi Jinping to move more quickly on a trade deal. But Chinese state media says his strategy will backfire. Bond yields slide with the U.S. 10-year dropping to its lowest level since 2016 after the U.S. ratchets up trade tensions with Beijing. Oil prices recover some ground after falling nearly 8% as trade concerns raise fears about a global economic slowdown. We've taken the toughest ever action to stand up to China's trade abuse. And I just announced another 10% tariff on $300 billion worth of Chinese products that come into our country. So half of you out there are going, yay, well done, Mr. Trump. We think this is great back at the Chinese. The other half of you going, what is he doing? What is he doing exacerbating problems? I don't care about what any of you lot think. The fact of the matter is the man is playing multiple games. And I think what he's done to the markets yesterday, uh, to the Chinese as well, of course, was absolutely fascinating. And what I really care about is the psychology of the move, because I think you're all looking over here, uh, what he's doing with China. But you need to look over here as well, because let's face it, he has protagonists left, right and center. And one of my theories is is over the 48 hours, not just the last 24 hours, and that is that the, the Fed did so much to soothe the market about their rate cut, to tell them what they want to do, when they want to do it, and that they're not doing too much here and there, i.e. the mid-cycle adjustment. So they basically held the hand of the market so there was no flutter of a reaction really as well. Mr. Trump is trying to do the exact opposite, I believe. He's trying to do the exact opposite. He's trying to extract a maximum uh, by not warning anyone that this was coming uh, from the markets. And hence, look at these dramatic moves to the downside. Why do I say they're dramatic? You're going, well, it's only a percent. Have a look at the session of the US Dow Jones Industrial Average, if we can just move on to that as well. Here is my point. This point here is around about 27 uh, 27,175, I believe, or 27,175. And the lowest point here is pretty much where we closed, 26,583. So you had a 600-point move to the downside. Maximum effect, not just for the Chinese, not just for traders, but for the Federal Reserve as well. I think we'd be stupid not to think about the ramifications that has for the September Federal Reserve meeting. Just thinking a little bit 3D for you there as well. Why did the markets fall so much? It's very briefly as well. Uh, it fell so much as well because this is the final. Final 10%. This is the toys 
This is the consumer products. I know you're doing the sectors a minute, so I won't go on to your area as well. Well, of course, the, uh, the treasuries uh, had a reaction. We saw uh, the yields now down as low as 188.63 on the 10-year as well. The two-year, 173.79. The dollar crosses. Well, let's have a look at this. There's so much going on, of course. Uh, and Mr. Trump has been bemoaning the actions of European central banks compared with his own central bank as well. But 110.81, ironically, rather stable compared to where it was trading earlier in the day. This is a, a purely British malaise. Uh, the Brexit issue, again, we'll talk about this with Willem later on as well. Again, absolutely fascinating, the maths in UK Parliament. Willem and I agree. We were just chatting about it. We think this is the most extraordinarily exciting time for the maths in Parliament, regardless of what you think of Brexit, uh, at the moment. Anyway, dollar yuan, this is a key pair, of course, 6.936. Okay, oil prices. Oh, my goodness me. And I, you know I love the oil story. You know when you see me get excited about it, and I do get overexcited about it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know as well. <laughs> are we improving here? Uh, yeah, anyway, so here we are. A uh, huge decline. Huge, this is the biggest decline we've seen, as Juliana was saying, uh, at the wall in a very long time as well. So huge move down, a multi-year move. You know, we're, we're falling 8%. That is, that is big. These are heavily, heavily traded commodities as well. And finally, have a look at gold as well, which hit... Uh, recent highs as well. I think we got up as high as 14.57. I think that was the intraday high. You're nodding, so it must have been. All right, go. Your go. <laughs> no, I just think it was fascinating. Your, your point about the timing of President Trump's move on tariffs in relation to the Fed. Clearly, he Look wanted... around. This is a man who wants to be elected. And do you know what? I don't care if people like Donald Trump or not. I don't care if they dislike him or not. I, I can be ambiguous, agnostic. I'm on the other side of the Atlantic. But he's a master of communication. And if he wanted the market impact yesterday, that's exactly what he got. Absolutely. Well, one, it's very interesting that these new tariffs apply to the consumer sectors. And I want to take you to those stocks in a moment. But first, let's just look at the global bellwethers for trade. We've got Caterpillar and Deer both reacting very strongly to the news of these new tariffs with Caterpillar down 3.7%. That's a huge move lower. Boeing and FedEx also seeing significant moves to the downside. FedEx down more than 4% on the session. Let's take a look at tech as well. Apple in particular is an interesting one here. Uh, we've got Apple down more than 2% on the news. And the reason I say it was interesting is that Apple so so far has avoided being really largely impacted by the tariffs. But we heard from uh, the Apple CEO back in June uh, or mid-June saying that uh, the remaining $300 billion in Chinese imports that were subject to these tariffs would cover all of Apple's major products. So now Apple is looking at an impact from the U.S.-China trade war in a very direct way. But the whole tech space selling off yesterday. Now let's take a look at the retail sector. Uh, as we were just discussing there, this round of tariffs is very interesting given that it affects the consumer sector. And as we look forward to the 2020 election, fascinating that President Trump would move to affect a sector that has such a direct impact on the U.S. consumer. So very substantial moves here. Abercrombie and Fitch down more than 11%. Gap, Kohl's, uh, Nike, all down as well. So huge hit there for the U.S. retail sector. Let's take a look at Asian markets and see what the reaction has been overnight to this news. Moves lower as well. The Shanghai Composite down uh, nearly 1.7%. The Hang Seng down more than that, down about 2.4%. In terms of the reaction we've heard from Beijing so far, they've hit back saying it is meaningful.
meaningless for Washington to try to pressure Beijing during these trade talks. Remember, they're set to resume trade talks in September in Washington. There are those who think this could end quickly. There are those who think it could last for many, many years as uh, trans-Pacific ructions continue as well. But Chinese state-backed Global Times newspaper, I was looking at this as well, said fresh tariffs will not bring both sides closer to a deal. Well, I'm delighted that uh, Eunice uh, joins us now live from Beijing. Uh, and Eunice, those people who look into the psychology and the psyche uh, of China uh, and its leadership as well will say face is a very important thing. That in order to face down this threat from the US as well, it's very important. So the, the, the chances of China just capitulating like a house of cards now, it seems very slim. Yeah, I think that uh, your assessment is correct. And uh, you had mentioned the Global Times. Well, there was one Global Times editor who posted online um, a, a comment to that effect, saying that Beijing will now likely focus on just hunkering down and waiting things out in a prolonged, protracted trade war. So that was the state media unofficial response. But the official response also was quite damning. The uh, foreign minister, China's top diplomat, uh, had slammed President Trump's decision, uh, Minister uh, Wang Yi, who's uh, traveling and at a conference in Thailand, uh, said that the U.S. tariffs are not constructive, nor neither or a correct way to resolve trade friction. So the minister's comments come after President Trump had said that uh, the U.S. would now slap tariffs of 10 percent on the remaining $300 billion of Chinese goods starting from September 1st. And President Trump told reporters that that tax could go even higher. This is what he said. If you remember when I did the 25%, I did it in stages. And this can also be lifted ultimately in stages or it can be taken off, but it can be lifted in stages. So we're starting at 10% and it can be lifted up to well beyond 25%, but we're not looking to do that necessarily. But President Trump said that he felt that China and more specifically President Xi uh, wasn't moving fast enough um, to address some of the issues that the U.S. feels are important to them. And this is, comes after his uh, debrief with his top negotiators, uh, Secretary Mnuchin, as well as Trade Representative Lighthizer, who were in Shanghai just a couple of days ago uh, meeting with their Chinese counterparts. Uh, the uh, trade truce from China's perspective is now over. And uh, there are many people within the U.S. business community who are now worried about retaliation. In fact, the U.S.-China Business Council uh, said that they are specifically concerned about increased regulatory scrutiny, delays in licenses and approvals, and dis discrimination in state procurement tenders. Also, uh, one industry that's uh, very concerned and quite vocal is the retail industry. Uh, the retailers uh, were speaking overnight saying that they were, quote, uh, feeling that the U.S. families were being held hostage. The American Apparel and Footwear Association said that they were shocked and felt that U.S. consumers are going to be hit harder than Chinese factories. Uh, and this morning, we spoke to some Chinese factories who said that they felt that the Chinese economy would be hit hard. And one uh, uh, factory um, manufacturer in particular who sells to the U.S. said that um, he believed that the 10 percent tariff was going to be a blow for the sector that's already seen a lot of strain recently. And um, he said that he's probably going to end up leaving the U.S. market altogether if these tariffs do take place on September 1st. Guys? Eunice, thank you very much for bringing us the latest, fleshing it out for us from just, Beijing. Just one more point. Actually, just sorry, I know we've got to move on, but very interesting. The president uh, set of tweets were very clear to be very friendly still to President Xi. 
And I thought that was very interesting. He's making sure that he's playing the ball, not the man, so to speak, as well, so that he can try and say, we can get this done as well. And I think that's very subtle and very important as well. He is not ta attacking the individual. He's not averse to attacking the individual. He's done it many, many times, whether it's about Iran, whether it's about the Federal Reserve as well. So I think this is a, a very tiny little, little difference. He's attacking the situation rather than the individual. And I think keeping the the bonhomie, so to speak, with she, that could be an important part about a later rapprochement. Really playing down the impact, the severity of these sanctions, calling it a small additional set of tariffs. It will have inflationary ramifications, if I can just very briefly say. Um, in the other direction, CPI and PCE price index could get a boost, probably a small one, between 0.1 and 0.2 percentage points, says Jim O'Sullivan from High Frequency Economics. So actually, in some ways, it may have an inflationary impact, which may possibly stay the hand slightly of the Federal Reserve, which has many mandates. Well, we will discuss all of this as the show progresses. Meanwhile, Moody's has warned that an escalation in trade tensions will weigh on the global economy and supply chains. Moody's also said that U.S. consumers would pay higher prices for everyday items like electronics, clothing, and toys. It pinpointed U.S. crude, transport equipment, and semiconductors as specific areas that could come under pressure from the extra tariffs. Now, it's not necessarily all about the U.S.-China. President Trump will make an announcement on U.S.-EU trade today at 1945 CET. That's according to Bloomberg. The U.S. president has previously threatened to introduce tariffs on European automakers, citing national security. Security concerns. So, question for you: What is Brecon and Radnorshire? Radnorshire. Uh, it's a constituency in Britain, but is it important? I think it's really important, and certainly could set the tone for what happens next in British politics and Brexit. I know a man also who's interested in Brecon and Radnorshire. Uh, that is Villa Marx, and he'll be up to speak about Boris Johnson's Conservative-led majority. Now, how big do you think it is? Yeah, it's one. We'll be back. And let's take a look at European opening calls, uh, whether this weakness is filtering through to Europe, and it indeed is. The DAX looking at a 236-point drop at the open. Over in Italy, we're looking at a more than 400-point drop at the open. Stay with Squawk Box. A CNBC signature event. East Tech West. CNBC's exclusive invitation-only retreat returns to Nansha, Guangzhou, China in 2019. We explore all things tech from artificial intelligence to 5G. Join the world's most prolific investors, inventors and entrepreneurs as they share their stories and celebrate innovation. Visit EastTechWest.com for an application to attend. All right. Well, welcome back to Squawk Box. We've got more bank earnings for you just in. We've got credit agricole numbers for Q2. Net profit was down 15 percent to 1.22 billion euros. That's down from 1.44 billion in the same quarter last year. Revenues also lower, albeit the magnitude not quite as much, uh, down 0.4 percent to just over 5 billion euros. Uh, they said that net profit from corporate and investment banking was down 22 percent. Uh, and on capital, this, of course, very important 
for the uh, European banks. The core tier one capital ratio was 11.6%. That was about 10 basis points higher than the previous period. But if you remember, we've seen some pretty substantial progress from the French banks this week on capital. So in uh, comparison to those from SockGen in particular yesterday, this uh, improvement on core tier one capital, not quite as uh, as meaningful, still at 11.6% overall. So low relative to the European peers. Um, good profitable growth in the combined ratio figure um, over at this is of PNC, which is trouble for some industries, over at Allianz as well. It's 94.3% in the second quarter 2019. Just to confirm, I know you guys know this, but just for those of you who don't, anything below 100% is profitable business. A hard, above 100% is bad. And further you get away from 100% to the downside, the more profitable. So 94.3, which is broadly flat pre on the previous figure, uh, pretty robust given everything that's going on at the moment. Operating profit outlook for 2019 confirmed 11.5 billion euros, plus or minus 500 million euros. Um, what else have they said that's very interesting for you here as well? Uh, I can give you the operating profit figure in the second quarter has come in at 3.2 billion euros. That is a rise of 5.4% as well. Just a quick word on the shares, and I will just do a very quick bit of analysis. Whilst we've been incredibly concerned about the financials broadly, one should delineate and, and really make the distinction between the banks and the insurers as well, because this company has got a lot of buyers out there who really like it, trades at 10.7 times forward, as opposed to the single digit figures we're seeing across the weaker members of the banking sector, especially in Germany as well. And as you can see on the screen, it's had a very decent run to the upside as well, 21%. And I think where we should see a good performance from a German company at the moment, we should say, because of course, we're seeing so many sectors from the autos to the financials, where there's a lot of pressure. But that won't stop us grilling the Allianz CFO, uh, Giulio Terzario. Uh, that's coming up at 7.50 Central European time. Now, the overnight walls, we covered this in some detail, but you're back at the wall to have another worth, look at the overnight walls. Yeah, the overnight walls, I think it's worth spending a little bit more time on them. Given the intraday volatility we saw on Wall Street yesterday, markets took a real beating in the afternoon session after that announcement from President Trump on the 10% tar uh, tariff uh, uh, tariffs on additional 300 billion dollars worth of Chinese goods. The Dow ended more than 1% lower. Now we saw a huge swing there. The Dow had been tracking about 300 points higher earlier in the day and it ended about 280 points lower. So massive swing there. The S&P and the Nasdaq both ended lower as well. Sector-wise, financials lagged the overall market. Now uh, let's take a look at treasuries where we saw massive reaction as well. As Steve and I were discussing earlier on the show, the timing of President Trump's move on tariffs is really notable given that it came just a, uh, a day after the Federal Reserve cut rates but offered a relatively hawkish framing of that rate cut. Now we saw U.S. Treasury yields move lower across the board. We saw the two-year and ten-year hitting uh, two-year and five-year, excuse me, hitting lows uh, not seen since 2017. The ten-year hit lows not seen since the 2016 election. The ten-year is now trading around 1.88 percent. Now let's take a look at the VIX. Uh, of course, all of this uh, feeding a huge amount of volatility. We saw a spike in the VIX, currently around 17.87. That's a nearly 11% higher on the day. So a massive spike in volatility there. And let's take a look at dollar crosses. We uh, we had seen the dollar sh rally sharply on the back uh, of this tariff tweet uh, hitting a high. Uh, excuse me. We, we saw the dollar drop from two-year lows. Now we're seeing sterling lose further ground, but the UK 
has matters of its own weighing on sterling. It currently down 0.22% around that 1.21 level. And we will be uh, getting into the detail of what the latest is uh, on Boris Johnson and his working majority in just a couple of minutes' time. Let's take a look at uh, sterling versus the dollar uh, over the course of the month. It, as I said, down at 1.21 now. Uh, da- and that has uh, been tracking lower over the course of the month, but taking a step down, of course, in the last couple of weeks. Something quite staggering. Um, I didn't, didn't know where Radnor Shire was a couple of days ago. I don't even know how to say Radnor Shire, but I'm going there tomorrow. And it's getting really exciting because of the parliamentary mass, because uh, the Tories have just lost another seat as well. But I tell you what, this is fascinating. Let Willem talk you through some of the key points here. Hello, my friend. Hi, Steve. So Radnorship, Central Wales, down here. This is outside a general election cycle, but we've had a by-election there because the MP, a Conservative, has been essentially recalled by his constituents. 19% of the voting constituents in that particular part of Wales have said, we don't want this guy to be our MP, and that's because he has acknowledged that he cheated on his expenses. Now, that matters because we've had this by-election, the Conservatives have lost that seat, and the Liberal Democrats, one of the opposition parties, have now claimed it. We saw quite a significant turnout for a by-election, almost 60%, much higher than any we've seen in around 20 years here in the UK, just an indication of how intense the feeling is around Brexit. And what's also important is that the Lib Dems, who now have 13 seats in Parliament, they actually had an alliance with some of the other parties to make sure they didn't try and split the vote. And the numbers you really need to look at here is up here, opposition parties now at 318 inside the Westminster Parliament. The Conservatives, they've got 310 plus one because one of their members has actually been suspended from the party but is still expected to vote with the Conservatives. He's been charged with sexual assault. That's why he's been excluded from their caucus. And then you have the small Northern Irish part of the DUP down at 10. They, as I'm sure you will all remember, have a confidence and supply agreement, essentially an agreement with the Conservatives. They struck with Theresa May after the last general election that they would vote alongside the Conservatives on important issues. And of course, there's nothing more important in British politics right now than Brexit. And this is where it gets really interesting. 321 versus 318. If just one of these Conservative MPs has a change of heart, doesn't necessarily agree with the British Prime Minister, decides to vote against the government, as you can see, you end up with pretty much a stalemate. If this man, Charles Elphick, who's the guy that's been accused of sexual assault charges, he denies, if he is permanently excluded from Westminster and we end up with yet another by-election and another opposition party uh, wins, at that point you see the Conservatives potentially losing their majority. That will make it incredibly difficult for Boris Johnson and his government, who are pushing potentially for a no-deal Brexit, to get that through the Parliament. Willem, excellent explanation. Come on down, as, uh, as, uh, as a great man once said as well. And let's have a chat about this well, because I, I think it's fascinating. You think it's fascinating. I know that as well, because there is a lot of talk about if... Boris Johnson has a no-confidence vote against him if he just takes the ball by the horns and goes and has a general election this side uh, of the October 31st date, the other side of it, or in the new year as well. As well, The conventional logic is if you lose a by-election, then mm, no, you probably don't go for it because you haven't got the mandate. But the Labour Party lost more votes in terms of percentage points than the Conservatives lost as well. So does that mean, if you look at the maths and the alliance they could possibly have with the Brexit,
sit party uh, and the way the Lib Dems will split the oppo, does that mean he might be emboldened? So without talking to people on the ground there in Wales, it's difficult to know what was driving them to vote. But that high turnout indicates, to me at least, that Brexit was a key focus. This became a much more high profile vote because of that majority. A lot more people may have turned out because of that majority, uh, 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 that very slim majority. So what you end up with is this question as to whether Labour would now push for a general election. That's what you're alluding to, essentially, right? If they're prepared to, and if they are prepared to once again try and back a vote of no confidence in Boris Johnson, the timeline gets incredibly compressed because once these MPs, the lawmakers here in the UK, come back from their summer break in early September, if someone goes ahead immediately and tables a vote of no confidence, because of all the rules and regulations around how elections are held, five weeks of campaigning, you end up with an election possibly a few days before that October 31st deadline, which is where things get, as ever, very interesting. Now, we've seen the pound depreciate massively since Boris Johnson's election. How would this, might this have factored into voters' thinking? Well, I think it's going to depend really on what that does to things like wages. And that might take, you know, we talked to analysts about this yesterday, that might take a long time to play out into the real world. But as people start to see that impact, and it may be many months from now, it could potentially, we heard this from Mark Carney as well, it could potentially start to change people's minds about whether a no-deal Brexit is a good idea, something that Mark Carney was at pains to try and once again educate the general population about, about the negative impact, the shock that we'd see from that. And again, it's going to be something that Boris Johnson, a very seasoned, very successful campaigner, will be trying to dispel concerns about if they do end up holding a general election. What about another scenario? And we know that the, the front bench of the shadow, um, shadow government, the Emily, Emily Thornbury, uh, the likes of Tom Watson's been mentioned, Keir Starmer, perhaps more nuanced position as well. But would they potentially try and oust Jeremy Corbyn so they had a strong, perhaps more moderate candidate to go into a general election with? Whether they try to or not, it's going to be up to the Labour Party membership. And we've Which seen has come off dramatically since dramatically, its highs under Corbyn. But still, we've got a huge, we expect a huge majority of Corbyn supporters inside party membership. So whether they try or not, there's absolutely no guarantee. And you're quite right to bring this up because we have seen some very public dissent from senior members of the Parliamentary Party. Uh, quick one, I heard, I heard Jack Straw, former Foreign Secretary, a complete Blairite, of course, a stalwart of the Blair years as well, talking as well. And despite the fact that he says he's still a Labour member, he would like to see a more moderate leadership rather than Mr I Corbyn. I think a lot of the old guard yeah. in Labour would, so I mean, no surprise yeah, there. No surprise there, yeah. But, but whether it would come forward or not, and whether the grassroots members want it, as you say, it's absolutely key. Wow, it gets exciting, doesn't it? What a, what an exciting... Well, maybe we live in interesting times, and certainly <laughs> we do. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.